Please turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we'll read from verse 3 through to verse 17. Verse 3 to verse 17. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And we know that God will add a blessing to his own inspired word. Okay, two weeks ago I spoke on the subject at Glorious in His Apparel, which we read in Isaiah 63 and verse 1. And from there we started to branch out and look at some of the garments of our Lord, the garments that he wore during his time here on earth. On that occasion, a couple of weeks ago, we studied the swaddling clothes of infancy. We also looked at the seamless robe of ministry, but in particular, the hem of that garment. Today we will continue with that same theme. And our attention will be drawn to John 13 quite a bit. And it's here in this passage that our Lord teaches his disciples some great lessons. And two of the greatest lessons is humility and sanctification. But before we get into this study, let's go back just a little, just to set the scene, if you like. Please turn back to John chapter 12 and verse 37. John chapter 12 and verse 37 says this, 
But though he had done so many miracles before him, they believed not on him. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Now read that twice, just to emphasize what was going on. Look at the wording here, folks. So many miracles. Our Lord did miracle after miracle. So many of them, he was healing their sick. He was healing their diseased. He went about doing good. He was giving them evidence and, and, and proof, if you like, as to who he was. And John records, yet they believed not on him. Absolutely amazing, folks. Miracle after miracle. Healing the sick and the diseased. Doing so many miracles, yet they believed not on him. And folks, some people are so blinded to the truth of God's word. Even when the very word is right in front of them. On this occasion, it was the Lord himself. The word incarnate. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it goes on down in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God was made flesh. He was incarnate. And they believed him not. Now in our day, it's the written word. It's the written word of God. And still, still we see men. And we see professing Christians excusing and forgiving their own sin and disregarding the very word of God they say they believe. This is what has been going on 2,000 years ago. And folks are still going on today. Look at verse 40 of chapter 12. Verse 40, chapter 12 says this, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. But when you go back to verses 27 and 28, the Lord explains and says this, But for this cause, for this cause came I into the world, for this cause came I unto this hour. Verse 28 says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And so here is yet another proof as to who he was. He was the word of God incarnate walking among them and they would not believe even when they heard a voice coming from heaven. And the Lord explains why this voice came from heaven. It wasn't that he needed to hear it. He says in verse 30, look at verse 30, and Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me. I didn't need to hear it, but for your sakes. And verse 37 tells us, Still they believe not on him. Absolutely amazing, folks. The people could watch the Lord do all these miracles, heal their sick, 
heal their diseased, do so many miracles, the word of God says, and hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. And still, they would not believe. And yet, as per verse 37, they believed not in him. And then John quotes, as it were, Isaiah 53. And we could say this in our day, couldn't we? Isaiah 53. Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 38. Quoting Isaiah. And folks, no matter what we do in these days, hopefully, hopefully we can get through. Hopefully we will see one or two of the odd few coming to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Saviour. But by and large, we're living in a day when men's eyes are blinded to the truth, even when it's revealed right in front of them. And believe me, that even if God spoke from heaven, they still would not believe. Very true of our day. And we have the complete canon of Scripture. Men still do not believe. And many Christians do not practice what they say they believe. Look around Christendom as such and see. So you can see, our Lord and his disciples were on the road. They would have walked many miles, uh, just healing people, uh, dealing with the diseased, speaking to the people trying to convince them who he was and they would have walked many miles between the towns and the villages. He was always busy. It was a busy life as far as our Lord is concerned. And as they walked, their foot and their feet would get dusty. Their feet would be contaminated with the dust and the dirt and the grime of the journey then they would come to the house they would take their place and they would sit down now let me explain this the normal custom was that when someone entered into the house or a house a servant would be at the door and that servant would have a basin of water and a towel to clean off the dust from off their feet. And it seems that this custom was not adhered to on this particular occasion. There was no servant to welcome them at the door. There was no washing of the feet. And all the disciples would have realized this. They would have realized that this is the custom of the day. There's no servant. There's no basin. There's no water. There's no washing of the feet. It was the custom as you enter into every home. So, they all went in. And they went up to the upper room and sat down. Then after a certain time had elapsed, which would would have given each one of them an opportunity to do the right thing, mind you. But after a certain time had elapsed, verse 4 tells us that uh, 
He, the Lord Jesus Christ, rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. This evening, folks, I only have time to look at this one situation. We will be developing some other things, but we're going to look at this one situation. Hopefully I will be able to study some other situations with the same theme in mind. Because here we have the first instance, if you like, of our Lord recorded in Scripture all according to Scripture. Folks, don't go outside of Scripture. This is all according to Scripture. This is the first instance of him taking some of his garments off. And I have called this the discarded garments. Now, to my knowledge, and I stand to be corrected, to my knowledge there are only four occasions recorded in Scripture where our Lord discarded his garments. Two were voluntary. Two were not. Now I'll just mention each one in passing. I'll mention them very briefly. Then we will continue to look at John 13. The first one of course is John 13. His garments were discarded voluntarily. He took them off. The second occasion is Matthew 27 and verse 28. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And here is his garments discarded. And here I see they were discarded viciously. You see, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 20, and in Matthew 27 verse 30 and 31, it says this, And they spit upon him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, that was the purple robe that they put on him, and put on his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. So the first one was voluntary. The second time was viciously. This was a very vicious act. This is very vicious treatment our Lord was enduring. They spit on him. They took the reed and smote the crown of thorns into his head. And after they had mocked him and took off the robe from off him, they put on his own raiment again, his own garment again. The third occasion, we go to John 19. John 19 verse 23 says the soldiers took his garments. Luke 23 34 says and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Matthew 27 35 says and parted his garments casting lots. Mark 15 24 they parted his garments casting lots upon them. Folks these soldiers. These soldiers were brutal men. They were specially chosen men because of their callousness. And in the removing of our Lord's clothing for the crucifixion, it would have been done violently. They were violent men. And so that brings us to the last one. The first one was voluntary. 
The second one was viciously. The third one was violently. The fourth time, he discarded his garments, if you like, can be found in Mark chapter 15, verse 46. And wrapped him in the linen. Luke 24, 12 says, And stooping down, he beheld the linen cloth, led by themselves. In John 20, verse 5, it says this, And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. John 20, verse 6, says this, And seeing the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And here we see the garments our Lord was wearing in death. And they were discarded vicariously because he died for us and he rose again for us and for our justification. We are justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. So that's the four occasions that our Lord discarded his clothes. Okay, let's go back to our first occasion, if you like. John chapter 13. And here it tells us in verse 4 that he laid aside his garments. This was voluntary. He took off his garments and took a towel and girded himself. He took off the outer robe or the coat as it's sometimes called. And perhaps he took off the the inner vest or the tunic. Because in verse 4 it tells us he laid aside his garments. Plural. And I've called this section, as I've said before, discarded for service. The towel of humility. Now, the last time I spoke on this particular garment, the one that he removed, it was mainly to highlight the hem and what the hem represented which was the finished work of Christ. You remember? In case there's people listening in that uh, didn't hear the first message, the hem was lifted up. Then there was the piercing. And then the heat is applied before the one who was making the garment could say, it is finished. The lady touched the hem of his garment. And of course our Lord could rightly say, it is finished when he was on the cross. Because he was lifted up. He was pierced by the nails. He endured the heat of God's wrath. And he could rightly say, it is finished. Now just for a few moments, I want to draw your attention to another little detail. I I like the details. I like the details because the Holy Spirit moved John to record John 13, 23. And he recorded these words. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam. The coat, remember that. The coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Now folks, It is commonly accepted that the Lord would have had five garments or five pieces of clothing 
to be more precise. And you remember when they were divided, there was four parts, every soldier a part. So there was four soldiers. Four parts, every soldier a part. And that seems to be the situation because according to uh, history, whenever someone's getting crucified, there'd be at least four soldiers there for each person that was being crucified. Because they would have to nail them to the cross and then they would have to lift that cross up and then thump it down into the ground into a hole that was made. So four soldiers for each of those that were getting crucified. Five garments. Five pieces of clothing. Number one. Sandals. Number two, the inner girdle. Number three, the headpiece. Number four, the tunic or the undergarment. Number five, the coat. And this outer garment or coat was seamless, without seam. That's the detail. And here again we're told this detail and it's I, I don't know about you, but whenever I read the scriptures and I see little words like that, I, I say to myself, well, do we need to know that? Is that important? Listen, every jot and tittle is important. Every word is important. And whenever I start reading, please don't read ten chapters and just verbatim go over it. Maybe read four or five verses. And then start going into it and start to disseminate them and start to work them out and then check every word and see what every word means and what what the Lord is saying to us and what the Holy Spirit is getting across to us. And here again we're told the detail. And I've said before that if we're told details, then it's important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Profitable for instruction, all scripture. And so when you see a word, do we need to be told that this coat had no seam? Do we need to be told that this coat had a hem? Do we not take those things for granted? No. This robe with no seam no joins, no imperfections, woven from the top throughout, I believe speaks of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the top, from heaven's glory, to the bottom, the finished work on Calvary, and throughout referring to his ministry on the way to the cross. And he never deviated to the left nor to the right. He came from heaven's glory. He became flesh. But he never ceased to be God. For unto us a child is born. But unto us a son is given. He was always the son. He is always eternal. And in his life. He was perfect. In him is no sin. His life was consistent. He is immutable. Non-changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So all in all, this garment represents the perfect righteousness of our Lord. And this robe, this coat, would cover his whole body, the body of Christ. And when you think of it, folks, we 
are the body of Christ on earth. We, the church, are his body. And we are covered with his perfect righteousness. Folks, it is not because of anything that we have done. But it's because he has imputed, imputed his righteousness unto us. And now we can stand, as it were, before a holy God covered with the imputed righteousness of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for some of you young folks that might be listening in, the word imputed means this. Something of value assigned or given to another. Something of value assigned or given to another. And the righteousness of Christ is of value. And it's been assigned, it's been given to us. Praise God for that. And he was righteous in everything he did or said. Never man spake like this man. Surely this is the Son of God. This is my beloved Son. And whom I am well pleased. Perfect man. Perfect God. The God man. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I believe that some of the women. As I've said before. May have made this coat. Without seeing for him. Luke chapter 8 and verse 3 says this. Talking about the women says. And many others which ministered unto him. Of their substance. And I thought about that. I thought, well, after all, it was a woman that brought sin into the world. And it would only be fitting that a woman makes this garment which represents the sinless Son of God, His righteousness, our covering, and the finished work of Calvary. And praise God when we believe. It deals with our sin. And we receive the gift of God. Which is the forgiveness of sins. Because of the finished work. So the curse of sin is dealt with. The devil is defeated. And we now stand before God. Not in our own righteousness. Which are like filthy ranks. But in Christ's righteousness. Again, folks, we need to be on our knees praising God for these things. Now, I have already explained that the soldiers cast lots. They cast lots to see who would get the seamless coat. It was such a coat without seam from the top throughout, woven from the top throughout. Some of you ladies are going to have to explain to me how that could be done. But it was over from the top throughout. These soldiers, they, they could see something in it. They took one part each of the five which left the garment, the coat. And they said, Let, let, let's cast lots for it. Let's gamble for it. But let me say this. No one was able to choose this seamless garment. No one could say, that's mine. 
They had the cash lots for it, but it was not any sort of luck. And we don't use that terminology in Christianity. I was lucky the other day. No, no such a thing. It was not even their good fortune if they eventually finished up with this garment. You see, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. (laughs) It was the Lord who chose the soldier who won the coat because God knew their hearts and what they would do with this coat. Folks, there is never a time when our Lord is not in control. And before we get into John 13, I just want to highlight something to you in Matthew 27. After the Lord yielded up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the graves opened and the dead saints arose the centurion and the soldier said truly truly this was the son of God truly so God knowing their hearts perhaps one was genuinely converted and believed and was moved to put the coat at the cross. We don't know. But there's no mistakes in what God does. Then again, when John saw him in Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this, One like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. So, between his head and his foot, this garment covered all. And folks, we are covered with the righteousness of Christ, as it were, down to the foot. And we'll see a little bit about that later on, what the foot represents. But the garment covered all. As I said before, and I quite often when I'm studying a subject like this, I go back to first mention. And where is the first mention of any part of the Lord's body? This garment covered the Lord down to the foot. Now I'm sure some of you are thinking now, well, where was the first mention of parts of his body? Was, was that at his baptism? Was, uh, was that when he was in the temple? Was, was that when he was in the cradle? Where was... No, 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 no. We have to go right back to Genesis 3.15. And it says there, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And folks, this garment came down to the heel, representing the finished work of Christ. And it destroyed the work of the devil that day. That day. Okay. Time to get back into John chapter 13. He rises from supper, verse 4, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. As I said before, there are four different occasions, four different situations in relation to the Lord's garments 
being taken off. And here we see his garment was discarded for service. Now, Matthew 27, very quickly, Matthew 27, verse 28, we read, And they stripped him, and here we see his garments were discarded for suffering. In John chapter 19, 23, we see that his garments were discarded for sacrifice. And in John chapter 26 and 7, we see the grave clothes, which were uh, his garments in death, were discarded for sovereignty. Because he is sovereign. And he conquered death. And he is now the coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's study this passage just for a little while. Where our Lord's clothes were discarded for service. Verse 5 tells us, John chapter 13. John chapter 13 verse 5 tells us that he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now here's a question. Why did the Lord wash their feet? Well, first of all, it was was for cleansing. That's the simple answer. That's the simplified version. There was no servant there to do the washing of the feet at the door. So our Lord took the place of the servant. And he started to wash their feet. Now here we have at least two lessons to learn. Firstly, humility. Our Lord Jesus rose up, washed their feet. The God who created all that we see. All that we know, all that we don't see, all that we don't know, the creator of mankind now stoops in humility to wash his creation's feet and literally takes the place of a servant or a slave. And he served his own people. we look at that a little bit more in a moment or two. The second thing we see here is sanctification. A cleansing was taking place. The dust and the grime of the journey had to be washed off. And the spiritual lessons we learn here that we too need to apply humility to our lives that we need to apply the meekness and the humility of Christ to our lives. Someone has written this. It's an author unknown. And says this. Wouldst thou be great? Then lowly serve. Wouldst thou go up? Go down. But go as low as e'er you will. The highest has been lower still. A lesson in humility. So humility. Next he teaches sanctification. 
he washed the disciples' feet. Now the feet speaks of our walk. Remember I said earlier the coat covered all down to the feet. And our feet speaks of our walk. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants us, wants you and I to have a clean and sanctified walk before him. Nothing is ever too little or too unimportant or too small for our Lord. Do you know something? When you think about it, he knew what lay ahead. Uh, sometimes when we've got something important that lies ahead, and maybe some of our children come up and say, uh, uh, Daddy, Mommy, could, could you do this for us? No, no, no. I'm too busy. I've got so much in my mind I can't think about it right now. The Lord knew what lay ahead. The agony of the garden, where he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Uh, the garden arrest, where one of the twelve came and betrayed him by kissing him on the cheek. The trial by night, which was illegal, no sleep. The scourging and the beating and the spitting and the lies and, of course, the crucifixion. He knew all this just lay ahead moments in front of him. Yes, he spent time with his disciples and he washed their feet. They had been contaminated, as it were, with the journey. And, folks, likewise with us. We need to come before the Lord on a daily basis and be cleansed because we too can get contaminated with the journey. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're sanctified. But we do get contaminated with the journey. Well, John 1 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, he stripped himself in humiliation. And then he closed himself again in exaltation. And today he still serves his people. So, as he was washing the disciples' feet, here again, it's Peter. (laughs) Good old Peter. It's Peter that speaks up. In verse 6, Peter says, Lord, (laughs) dost thou wash my feet? And the Lord answers him in verse 7. Then in verse 8, Peter says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And of course, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And he goes on to explain what he was saying. Please turn to chapter 13, verse 8. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, Now listen to this, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Of course, he was speaking about Judas. But he was also teaching them another lesson. He's saying, Listen, you're sanctified, you're saved. If you trust in me, you are completely cleansed. But you're still walking in the flesh. But the world still has an impact on you. But the old flesh will rear up. 
But the old devil will have his way with you and you need to be a daily cleansing. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 is so important. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, our daily walk. We don't need cleanse from the root problem of sin, folks. That's been dealt with on the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ dealt with that. But on a daily basis... We need to ask God's forgiveness. You know, he stripped himself in humiliation. He humbled himself. And as he washed those disciples' feet, Peter, again, was the only one that spoke up. You going to wash my feet, Lord? No, I don't want you to do that. But that's as far as it went. See, as I said, we are cleansed from the root problem of sin. When we get saved, we are sanctified. But there needs to be that coming before the Lord on a daily basis, confessing our sin so that the dirt and the grime of the day, whatever we have watched, whatever we have seen, whatever we have thought, whatever we have looked upon, whatever things have come into our life that is unchrist-like, needs to be dealt with. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed? According to thy word. And we need to be in the word, folks. You know, I believe Peter never forgot this lesson. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, it says this. Yea, and this is Peter teaching now. His life became an incredible thing, a sacrifice for his Lord. And in 1 Peter 5 and 5 he says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be ye clothed with humility. Where did he get that from? Be ye clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Do you think he was thinking back to that night? Do you think he was thinking back about how proud he was sitting there? Do you think he was thinking about why he never got up and yet he allowed his Lord to get up? Clothed with humility, he says. I believe he learned a great lesson. Now back in our passage, John 13, it seems that he also washed Judas' feet. And I see here, as it were, a lesson of grace and love giving the sinner giving the betrayer yet another opportunity to repent I I don't know if you've ever thought about it I have many a time many a time I've virtually thought of these things when trying to get to sleep and the Lord with the towel and the basin, on his knees, shuffling along from one disciple to the other, cleaning their feet, drying them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then he comes to Judas. And I just wonder, 
did he look up into Judas's eyes, knowing that the devil had entered into him and just gave him another opportunity to repent. But no, he was a pretender, just like so many people today. And they will stand before God and will say, but Lord, did I not do these things in your name? And did I not cast out devils in your name? And did I not prophesy and preach in your name? And they say on them, depart from me, for I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. Pray to God that none of us hear those words. And what makes this passage so interesting is when you compare it to other gospels relating to the same situation. And it's through different eyes. Luke 22 and verse 24. Now before we go and and look at that, let me just remind you. It's amazing how many Christians wouldn't think about this. But let me remind you that this man, Luke, was not one of the twelve disciples. He came on the scene much later. But under inspiration, and perhaps many eyewitnesses, he was able to write and record his gospel, the gospel of Luke. Luke was a companion to Paul, and he also penned the Acts of the Apostles. He is called the beloved physician. Colossians 4 verse 14 says this, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. But Luke in his gospel, chapter 22 verse 24, tells us, that the disciples were talking and striving among themselves. Perhaps Dr. Luke would be speaking to some people down the track and say, Now, you were there. You were there on that night. Maybe even one of the disciples when they were older. They said, Well, what took place? And they said, Well, look. We were talking and we were arguing and we were striving and just to see who would be the greatest. Isn't that the way with men? Luke tells us in his gospel, the disciples were talking and striving among themselves as to whom would be the greatest. And it was here, right here, that they learned how to be great. And they learned how to be great by becoming the least. You see, this upper room was borrowed for the occasion. It wasn't as if uh, somebody invited them in. No. Uh, Peter and John were sent ahead to make ready. Uh, Let's go back into the Gospel of Luke and verse, well, Gospel of Luke 22 and verses 7 to 13. It says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Now, uh, that's important because women carried water in those days. For a man to be carrying a pitcher of water was out of the ordinary. So they would know right away that this was the man. So a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entered in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, 
Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So, interesting. Peter and John went ahead, made ready. They had up into this upper room, get ready for the Passover. Then, of course, the other things that took place. Now, if they were invited into another man's home, uh, the task of the feet washing would have been taken care of. But it was a borrowed room. It was an upper room. It was furnished. They were not another man's guest. Folks, everything, now listen, everything that was needed for the feet washing was there. It was a large upper room furnished. Everything that was needed for the feet washing was there. So who would be first to volunteer? Peter, you're always first. He seemed to be the leader. He seemed to be the spokesman. He spoke on their behalf quite often. Would he get up? No. What about John? (laughs) He seemed to be one of the youngest, if not the youngest, and it seems that he was the youngest. But he died at around about 98, 100 years of age. Would he, being the youngest, get up? But was he thinking, no, they're they're not going to use me. Just because I'm the youngest, they send me here, there, and everywhere. No, they're not going to use me. Folks, let me point out. The basin was there. The pitcher of water was there. The towel was there, stirring them all in the face. Who would get up? Who was going to be great enough to adorn the slave's apron? Who's going to be great enough to do the work of a servant? Who would, in humility, go on their knees and wash their companion's feet? Which one? Everyone's waiting. But no one moved. Had they realized it, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and Master, was giving them an opportunity to become great. (laughs) But they missed out. And the greatest rose up. And he discarded his garments and put on the servant's towel, the towel of humility. Folks, as he arose and walked towards that towel, would you not think that someone would say, Lord, what are you doing? And as he discarded, as it were, his outer garments and put on the servant's towel, would someone not step up and say, Lord, let me do that? And as he poured the water into the basin, surely someone would take over this task. But no, not one. Someone has put it this way. Again, author unknown. 
girded to serve, the Lord of glory stands. The basin and the towel in his lovely hands. Poured out the water, bondsman-like, and then he stoops to wash the feet of fallen men. Beautiful. Folks, this task was there to be done. It was a custom. It was evident. All the necessary equipment was available. It was a lowly task. Were they saying, not me? Were they saying, well, someone else should do it? Was there even an air of apathy or indifference? We don't know. But this we do know. The greatest became the least to perform this task. Teaching them humility and sanctification. Now I just want to bring this first study to a close on his discarded garments by looking at just one word very briefly. And that word is example. John chapter 13 and verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Example. That word example literally means pattern. It's the same root meaning as Hebrews 9.23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. So our Lord was giving them an example or a pattern of behavior which they should model themselves after. Let me read from verse 12 to verse 15 of John 13 again. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Our Lord was giving them a pattern of behavior which they should model themselves after. And folks, the principle has not changed. Paul says, says in Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, in lowliness of mind, let us esteem other better than themselves. May it be that we would learn to be humble and that we might have that daily cleansing which our Lord gives us as an example to follow. May the Lord bless each and every one of you. Amen. Let's pray. 
Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again, we give thee thanks for this evening hour, this Sunday evening. We thank thee, Father, for the opportunity of opening up thy word. And Father, we thank thee for these simple yet very sincere lessons that we have looked at. May it be that we might realize that we are covered with the Lord's righteousness, not through any merit of our own, but through what he has done for us. And we now are stand before God with the imputed righteousness of Christ. And Father, this example, this pattern of behavior, if you like, that was taught to the disciples and which speaks to us, we do pray, Lord, that we might be humble in our deportment, that we might be sanctified on a daily basis, and that we might look for those menial tasks, the things that need to be done around this church and the ministry and that we might enter into it. And Father, we know that you will bless and encourage those things. Father, we just pray now that you would separate us in your fear and with your blessing, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.